Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Route to the program where we gather every day at this time. Well, we do it Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between food production and food consumption. Andrew Henderson is on some training mission, and he's not training for the militia. He's training for his job. I don't know what he's training for. Jay Truitt, he's training right here with us. You're in training now. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in training to drink coffee first thing in the morning. That's my uh yeah. and throughout the day, whenever I get a chance. So well that Christian County Museum doesn't set well with me when you I know you have a great looking loose tails cup. I, I do, but you know what? It's in the dishwasher. Honestly. <laughs> oh, perfect answer. <laughs> it i it, it got no, it got uh I do use it all the time and it kind of got a little crusty, to be honest with you. I uh it wasn't always rinsing it out good, so it had to get a kind of that overnight pot pot scrubbing uh, yeah. washer thing going. So okay. All right. we'll nice be save. back to it. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be back to it. I Never spent fear. the weekend in Kansas City, Kansas, but uh, there was a a lot of people there from Missouri. Some folks from uh, oh, we have to start in a place uh, that that i went to last week and you haven't been able to be with us um did you know brian sowers yeah you know he passed last week i did and what a what a sad story what a great guy great farm broadcaster and just a one of the good people in that business right um he was a a genuinely good man and uh, uh was a was a friend to me and despite the fact that he was younger than me um and he he might tell you that sometimes I mentored him a little bit uh, at one point, uh, but he was uh, he was a mentor of mine from the perspective of just how to actually technically do your job, right? I mean, and at a, real and at a competing level. station, you might add. Yeah, no, yeah, we were competitors, but we we were the best of friends. It turns out it's kind of funny. Some of the people that I turned out to be really good friends with um, from my days in the media were. Um, he and Tom Brand. Yeah. And oh, Tom, those are Tom your Brand, two closest competitors. <laughs> yeah, we're my two closest competitors. And Tom and Tom is probably one of the best friends I have on planet Earth today. Yeah. And we've we've remained that way for a long time. Um, but a good guy who happens to be running the National Association of Farm Broadcasters now is there, whatever. I'm not for sure exactly what his title is, president or CEO or whatever. But I think it's good executive guy. director, but I'm not. I'm yeah, not affiliated that's probably right. No, that's yeah. probably correct. But yeah, I do know that uh, last week I did a tribute to Brian, and then on Friday, friends of mine from Marshall did not get to our meeting because they attended his celebration of life, and I'm told it right. was just very fitting. I bet so. Yeah, I can only imagine what they could put together uh, with all the random things that he said, and he played a big part in that community for and and that not just that. Marshall community, but in the community at large and that whole region of the state. Absolutely. For how how many years, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. like 35 years or straight or something like that. Um, that's crazy. And again, just a, a guy, good humble beginnings, right? You love to see those kinds of stories where uh, he never forgot where he came from. Never. I mean, the the last time I talked to him, we were talking about, you know, 
kind of how you can start off one place and end up in some place else. And he was always kind of just amazed by what had happened to him. And I think that's a, that says a lot about just the kind of person he was. So, yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, last time I got to see him was April of this year. I spoke at the Saline County Lincoln day dinner. Right. So he was far too young. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. uh, the meeting I was at was a dedicated patriotism conference hosted by Doug okay. Billings. And the reason okay. I'm bringing it up with you is because I walked in to the speaker's dinner. I had the opportunity to speak on Friday, but Thursday evening was the speaker's dinner. I walked in and I actually got to this place early, which was like, that's a heart attack in itself. If Trent Luce gets somewhere early, but I walk in <laughs> and there's only one other speaker present. And so obviously I go sit by her Turns out that it's a, a Missouri representative, Holly Jones. Huh. Okay. Who represents the St. Louis area. Right. And uh, so I just asked her a couple of questions and pretty quickly she told me she was the person who sponsored the big controversial agricultural bill in the Missouri House last year called the MRNA bill. Right. And I, it wasn't long and I finally I said, well, turns out holly I'm, I'm friends with the folks who were working at killing that bill and we were yeah. pretty happy we got that done and so it spawned into a great discussion and i really like representative holly jones and yeah. I'm, I'm gonna get her some better information because she's going to reintroduce this but it's a worthy topic for us here because we're now going to enter this era but she tells me, Jay, that there are 17 states this year in the 2024 legislative session that will introduce bills that have something to do with the vaccination protocols that can be used on animals that will ultimately be sold into the food system. Uh, I got to say, first of all, I have not used a vaccine on an animal since October 2021. It's what we choose to just move away from. It was driven right. by the spike proteins. But I tried to explain right. to her, and I think she gets it because at the end of the day, she was on a panel and, and talked about the differences. There's a very different thing with mRNA technology where they identify the genetic sequencing of the of the virus itself, if there's a virus, whatever, that, that's the oh, concept. And then they use that to build a vaccine. The problem comes in, and then the, this is where you lead to modified RNA. Where right. you insert other components right. into that genetic code. So it's the mod RNA that makes a difference. And there's no discernment between the two, Jay. And I can see yeah. where this is going to, because I talked to Curtis Gregory after I talked to Representative Holly Jones. I sent a text to Mike Deering showing a picture with my, my setting with and visiting with Holly Jones. And so I right. know what this is going to be in Jeff City. There are going to be some fireworks about yeah. the future of the food business as it relates to animal health. Yeah. I. So listen, I, uh, I'll i just say this, and I, I kind of uh, to date have fallen on the side of not letting random state legislators uh, uh, for sure uh, try to whip people to a, into a frenzy that somehow or another the food system is unsafe because of some vaccine uh, threat that was out there. That's number one. And they tend to do that. They tend to start 
talking about talking about what might happen by what is happening and they they kind of infer that we're already doing something that is that is Correct. just making food unsafe that's so that's my first kind of uh concern that came up last year during this discussion the second part of it though and i've talked to people in other states and even some folks from australia that have gone through this never ending discussion there about mrna is is exactly the conversation that you just had, which is let's make sure of what we're really talking about. And and if you're going to, if this is one of those deals that you're going to have to get super specific about what you really say, are we talking about vaccines that target a marker in a gene that already exists in the animal that, that you've found, if that's what you're talking about, well, then you better realize that what you're also going to get rid of is everything on the shelf uh, at some point that treats, that's forthcoming in the next few years, that treats people for Alzheimer's. Because uh, all these Alzheimer's medications that relieve the, uh, the amyloids inside uh, somebody's brain that they're mm-hmm. using to track, all of those actually do that by looking for people that have certain kinds of markers there. And and number one, number two, the idea of modifying genetics via vaccine. Yeah, I have I have big concerns with that. I do. Um, um, I have concerns about genetically modifying animals through an injectable source or or something, if that's if that's possible in mass, um, just because in the last three or four years, as you could imagine, I've kind of lost confidence in some of our pharma partner that once i held held in a little higher esteem than what i do today yeah i've lost 100 percent of mine just for the record yeah uh, but but with that said hold on that's where you're gonna have to pick it up j truck yeah. more roll route right after this well, let's talk about weed management in today's world i see some crazy stuff taking place on rewilding america but you know what precision agriculture and technology that we have with things like Apache sprayers has moved us into a whole new level of efficient food production. Now they want to eliminate that. Well, Apache sprayers are available to you at two locations. Well, two different entities. More details about the innovation, the technology, the uh, service is second to none. Call Simpsons at simpsonfarm.com. You'll see exactly what I'm talking about. They've got sprayers all over the Great Plains of America. And High Plains Apache partners with Simpsons to get the job done. Check out my sentiment that Simpsons are second to none when it comes to customer service. Apache sprayer technology. On the web at simpsonfarm.com or go to highplainsapache.com. It's all about weed and pest management. The key word, management. Welcome back. Roll route. Trent Lewis alongside. I, I can just see Mike Deering wanting to jump into this conversation. Oh, yeah. Too. No, no. He Well, and, and again, Michael comes at it from a uh, from Mike comes at it from the perspective of what he gets paid to get have perspective. Right. Yeah, I mean, he could do the rest of the conversation as well. But I uh, listen. Uh, the, the, the reality is, is number one. Um, one of the things that I've learned over time is that no matter how much you want to do things on a state by state level, that the reason that the founding fathers created interstate commerce clauses is so that states wouldn't dictate to other states what would happen and that they would have to try to figure out 
some way to get on a common ground. That's one of the very few issues that the Republic was supposed to try to determine at the federal level. Right. Um, we're, we're caught in this quandary right now that my faith in FDA is waning, mm-hmm. right? At the same time that my faith in my, certainly I got to tell you though, my faith in a bunch of state legislatures in whatever state they're in. It doesn't matter what the state is. Missouri may actually have some that have access to more technical information than a lot of other states, just because they do a lot of vaccine production inside and research inside the state. So they they have people literally that live maybe down the street from them that can that help them with the uh, this whole discussion. But seriously, these legislators are about to try to to start writing laws that really should be regulations. And well, you're dancing around another thing that I I've, I'm going to have this conversation with Representative Jones because it needs to happen and I didn't get it done. If you have this, let's say this goes through and you have this law in Missouri on, by the way, it also included genetically modified crops being fed to livestock which is a whole nother yeah. dimension but that's a different just, discussion <clears throat> it should be a different discussion but let's just talk about mrna by the way there are zero uh, bovine vaccinations with mrna technology right. today in the marketplace but i think we're all foolish to think that big pharma isn't trying to get to that point because it's the most efficient way to build a vaccination program right okay Let's just say Missouri was successful in putting a, a labeling law in there because the law, the language clearly said that we're not going to tell you you can't use it. What we're going to say is that if you do use it, it has to be labeled on the product. Yeah. Th- then you come to that whole country of origin labeling discussion, Jay, whereas yeah. uh, let's just look at Missouri. How many of the food items on the shelf are Missouri products? They're not. They're not Missouri products. So nah. you have some company making items for of food, even in the meat business. There's zero beef packers in Missouri of size. Right. They're low, local right. regional yeah. packers. You have a seaboard with a plant in St. Joe in the pork business. You have a plethora of chicken plants. Mm-hmm. But there has to be the segregation of the product coming off of the line. And to go to Tyson and tell them that you're going to label the Missouri products with a different label than you're going to label the Arkansas products isn't going to happen. They're going to just no. say, forget it. I'm not going to go do yeah. Missouri. No, we could been, cause uh, a food problem in Missouri is my point. Or yeah. I'm just going to be devil's advocate with myself. Or it forces to do more regional food systems, which I think we need to have to begin with. So, I, Yeah. Now, that part, see, I agree. I if I, I might almost endure making a bad decision up front if I thought that we could create more of a regional food system and start start increasing supplies closer to the consumer. Um, but but honestly, you and I both know that if that's created through government, it's, it's going to be problematic long term. It is what exactly. needs to be created, but it needs to be created through demand, not through government. It's the it's still the tail wagging the dog. And it, and I, I don't mean to insult consumers when I say this, but consumers buy into marketing scams on food so often that it's not even funny, and that the those those think the 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 marketing ploy, the marketing pitch 
while technically truthful, are not really honest in a lot of respects. And so the, the all these all the different programs that USDA administers um, that label product and oversee those things are horribly perverted. They just are. Our organic program is not organic. Our all-natural program is not all-natural. Our our whatever programs really just aren't. And they'll go, oh, yes, they are. And they're looking at all these rules that justify it. Well, read all the rules and then read all the exceptions that are allowed. And then tell me that you believe that that, that label actually is representative of anything. And we've been through this like, a dozen times in the in the and, and I'm not for sure I don't have an answer. I really do think about this whole issue a lot from the perspective that I am I'm I'm actually kind of passionate about the idea that the closer your food is to you, this doesn't apply to me, which is typically I know that's kind of what we're talking about this morning. But on the other side of the equation, the nutritional density of food, and if we want people to actually eat. Um, eat simpler and and uh, and and foods that are honestly just better for us, less processed as much as possible. Those foods need to be grown closer to us because the nutritional um, nutritional value of that product declines with almost every mile that it travels. Well, that seems unfair to the people that are a long way away from the population centers trying to figure out how to produce food, but it's just a reality. Maybe not a lot, but if those foods don't have a lot of nutritional value in the first place, say lettuce, um, maybe it disappears completely by the time it gets to you for all practical purposes and the availability turns out to be almost zero. Well, then we start doing things like trying to package it in some weird CO2 package, right? And then we start... And then we're still trying to figure out how to call it organic, but also allow us to use just some preservative technology, et cetera, et cetera. This starts off with the best of intent. And I understand what it is. What they probably should do if they want to do anything is hamstring the pharma companies from being able to do some of the research in the first place and make them go to 10 tiers more of evaluation uh, before they just try to label it, let it into the pro- let it into the marketplace, and then try to label it after the fact. I mean, seriously, you got to explain to me yeah. why your approach is the correct approach. Well, they don't want to tell pharma this is the legislative thing, right? Now, this is where it gets to be a legislative deal. The legislators don't want to tell their friends in pharma, no, you can't do this. Yeah, you're right. And I, and I can speak for Representative Jones. In fact, I regret not inviting her, but maybe we can fix it at the break. We'll see. But I can tell you what she would say to that answer is that they are taking this path, even though they might prefer the other path that you just mentioned, because she sees very little opportunity to go beyond the lobbying entity of Big Pharma and what she has seen in her first year, first term as a representative of Missouri. And how lobbyists like Jay Truitt with a big purse string just win the day. Because so I'm mm-hmm. going to say her answer would clearly be we're taking yeah. the path of least resistance to get the same end result. Yeah, I uh, and I appreciate that. Right. I mean, I do understand that sometimes but sometimes lobbyists are not evil. 
I'm, I don't, I'm I don't, not. Do you know I, of one example? Can you give me what? just just one example? Me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not evil. <laughs> if you were going to answer that that way, we're going to be click buzz. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just like the only one, right? No. Yeah, there's an exception to every rule. I'm in. No. Uh, the the point but, being that sometimes but Jay, whoa, 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 I want to stop. It's yeah. not necessarily about just being evil. The lobbyist is hired to carry the water for the company that put the money in the in the bucket. Yeah, and so no, that's true. It's, it's as much as anything their job. It should be the job of the lobbied, the representative or the senator or whoever's being lobbied. To discern what you're trying to tell me here is just about increasing profit as opposed to what's best for the future of our country. Yeah, I I can tell you this. I I have uh, in my in my entire career though, and I've lobbied for a lot of broad things, uh, and and a lot of different subject areas. Most of them in the food business, though. Uh, I don't know that I've ever lobbied. I've lobbied for things that I later realized probably were a mistake. Yeah. Um, we'll pick I, it up I right there mistakes. in the second half yeah. where your mistakes have been. Roll route. <laughs> Jay Truitt. Yeah, We're yeah. back with more after this. Now let's spend a moment talking about beef, nutrition, genetics, Piedmontese. Certified Piedmontese have made great strides in generating a consistently tender product, not by mechanically tenderizing anything, but by simply evaluating and selecting the genetics that get it done. Fortunately, the Piedmontese cattle possess the myostatin gene, two copies of that myostatin gene, which in the end of the day leads to a tender eating experience. Here's what you want as a consumer. You want to know and get what you expect time in and time out. That's what you get from Certified Piedmontese. Test my statement. Go to the website, cpbeef.com, cpbeef.com. Order it, have it delivered to your door, and then be the next person to send me an email next week to say, Trent, you were right. Welcome back. Second half, roll route, Trent Luce, Jay Truitt. And uh, did you just tell me, Jay, it sounded a lot like you just told me that uh, I'd be better off just go spend time with Marty Beer and coon hunting. And chase, uh, you chasing, know what? <laughs> chasing coons up and down trees and things. Yeah, no, I I mean, part of the conversation that we were having kind of <laughs> off air a little bit is is like a there's a there's a lobbyist trade. A, a trademark right of people that really are good lobbyists i would and i do think there's some people that are good lobbyists um, um and i like to think that i'm that, that one of the skill sets that you need to employ to do that is the ability to know when to chase people up a tree and when to know when to chase people <laughs> down a tree and and i i mean because part of this goes back to how all this conversation started right and there was this original there was this original publication that came out about mRNA uh, vaccines in 2021, and it created its own kind of cottage industry. Yeah. Now, here's the bad side of lobbyists and sometimes not for profits that create themselves. People begin to get a lot of attention and, and make a lot of money, frankly, speaking and and doing YouTube videos that get a bunch of hits, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and defending because- lawsuits. Oh, yeah. And lawsuits. Well, that's the next tier of it, right, is yeah. that they they find some lawyer that will go along with them and then they raise a bunch of public hype. Well, now all of a sudden uh, we are 
have my dogs having a fit. He even agrees with me, right? He's not a yellow dog. <laughs> he is a black and brown dog. Uh, no, he, the, the, the reality. Wait a minute. All good coonhounds are black and brown, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> like he black is, and tans. He, he is, he is not a black and tan though. <laughs> okay. Just checking. He's a Rottweiler and oh, he's well, going to go outside and bite somebody. Dog. I'm going to have to turn him out. But no, the, the reality here is, is that what happens is people begin to get in this mode where they're actually making money on it. And so you can't talk them down out of a tree and they find right. a member of Congress that'll, that'll bite for one reason or another uh, because they find a constituency and the whole thing takes on a life of its own. Well, on the other side is somebody on the other side of every issue. It doesn't matter what that yeah. issue is. Yeah. You know, you, somebody will disagree with you no matter what you say. And, and the problem with that in our in our system, the way it is, is that all of a sudden now you get members of Congress that can't find the middle ground. They can't find the rational discussion in there. Everybody may be saying something that is true. Usually they, they are. are they're not, Usually there's yeah. a component of truth in every statement. Yeah, but not complete truth. Right. And so we're at, we ask them to put things together like that. And we talked about this. This is a sensitive subject in the beef and pork and poultry industry to a little bit lesser degree. This whole idea, what it does is it brings up the whole labeling conversation, though. And with labeling, we begin to talk about country of origin labeling or regional labeling, et cetera, et cetera. And I and I said I've said this now for like 30 years in my life. I would love to be able to see us figure out how to do it. It's just one of those things that on you every time I see it written on paper, I can't see how it actually gets to what you want to get to when you realize that 95% of the product in your in your country uh, meets that's in the supermarket shelf actually is generically US product from beginning to end. We're the world's largest beef supplier. Uh, to consumers. We're not the largest producers. Uh, India is, but we are the biggest supplier to consumers, certainly in this country, by a vast margin. On And the same thing goes for... We're pork. also the biggest beef importer in the world. Yeah, we are. That's because we still eat a lot of uh, beef and pork products, right? Um, not as much as some of us think we should, but we'll, that's a different show. And I... And the, and the reality here, Trent, is that people just, they kind of lose their mind. They try to dig a trench instantly instead of keeping the, the options open and listening to what really might work. I don't know what the answer is. It's the same thing on this mRNA vaccine. Do I have concerns about it? Sure, I do. Can you look at what happened with Pfizer and Moderna products that actually went into the market before they were really ready? Yeah, there's are there some real concerns with that now? They're finding out. And the, you go to the NIH and see both the original concerns that were expressed. Some of those turned out to be actually underselling the problem. And there turned out to be maybe bigger problems than what there were. Uh, uh, but, uh, that's the only issue you brought up that I disagree with. It's pretty clear to me this... The uh, jab. I'm going to call it a jab because it's not a vaccine. Yeah. This yeah. jab was made 10 years before the problem that was created to use the jab actually came about. They had the vaccine waiting for the, the virus is what I'm trying to say. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I understand that. Which is I also, very problematic. Though, yeah. I I can't appreciate it. I I actually sat in a meeting like in sometime in the mid nineties. I can't remember exactly when it was with a bunch of pharmaceutical reps talking about coronaviruses and that they were concerned about them making the jump to human beings. I don't know whether it did. I don't, I'm not the right guy to answer it. I kind of tend to think it was developed in Wuhan, et cetera, et cetera. You can call that a conspiracy or you can just call it common sense, but um, whichever side of the fence you want to ride on, I'm not going to be able to answer that question definitively. Uh, for anybody but uh, with that said I know that um, the animal health industry was working on trying to fix coronaviruses i.e. shipping fever uh, in cattle and shipping fever type diseases that we were having concerns with back in the 90s and we started talking about these mRNA um, vaccines back then and the testing that got done it just didn't work I mean, it didn't have an effect on the virus like they wanted to. And so it really never and never really survived in the marketplace. Jay, I think it's worthy for our audience, for everybody, just to fully understand mRNA. And, and here is why the veterinarian profession is excited about it. So back in the day, back when I was a kid and we'd have a coronavirus, which a coronavirus devastated me. I'll never forget what happened to me in, in December of 1984, where TGE, the first mm-hmm. coronavirus, it really hit me hard in the pig business, wiped out 100% of my pigs. Right. So what we would do back in that day is we would make what we called an autogenous vaccination. So we would take the virus, they would culture the virus, they would go through the lab process, identify what the virus was made up of, and then they would create a vaccine that would create an immunity in the animal so that right. they had developed antibodies. And there was a lag time from time that that was identified The reason that the veterinary profession is excited about mRNA is because it is simply looking at the genetic code of the virus and cutting weeks, if not months, out of the process to get a a path to a vaccine that is supposedly going to uh, create the same antibodies and have exposure so the immune system is ready for the virus when it comes. That in its purest form is what it's all about. The problem is that once you start handling the genetic code, you are susceptible to someone inserting other DNA into that. Right. And and that leads to this whole discussion. But in the purest form, if vaccinations and viruses actually work like they're supposed to, this would be a win-win. But there are too many people that have ulterior motives in today's world is the moral of the story. No, and and what I what I started off this whole conversation saying still matters to me, but at least from my perspective. I don't think if, if somebody told me tomorrow that we could rid the world of cancer with with a with a simple treatment, um, would I would I want to explore that further? Would I at least want to try to get down the road and figure that out? Yeah, uh, if we wanted to solve the Alzheimer's issues. Uh, with people that have and actually reverse Alzheimer's. Imagine imagine what that would actually mean in, mm. in U.S. society today. It'd be a big thing. It'd um, be a really big thing for the medical community. It'd go broke. Right. And so when I talk to the people that are doing the research 
uh, in some of these circles, what they tell me is, is that what you just said, literally, very articulately, is exactly the reason that this is the pathway that everyone is going to flow down. Because it allows them to, to take years of work and turn it into months of work if they yeah. can just find the right genetic marker. Uh, and Jay, I have to add one other thing that I just thought I forgot. Within every virus, there are mutations. And so yeah. like the PERS virus, porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome, which started, I had the very first I, I, in the country, but in 1997, we had abortions. We didn't know what it was. They called it the mystery swine disease. We now know that it was PERS. And then since right. 1997, when it's identified, there's over 90 different strains of the same virus. Right. So you're autogenous, what you're just constantly trying to replicate them. The mRNA cuts the time lag off with the same virus that has mutated that has to have a little bit of a alteration. That's why they're yeah. excited about it. Yeah. No. And and again, in the case in the case of coronaviruses, which turned out to be, we now we call it COVID stuff, right? But right. in coronaviruses, they were trying to get ahead of that because they saw that they saw that evolution or whatever you want to call it, that mutation um, taking place. And and the reality was that's why they couldn't solve the problem initially when the old in the old style system. Uh, by the time they figured out a vaccine that treated something, well, no longer was that even the issue. And so they were producing vaccines that solved a problem that no longer existed. And and as you go through that, right, I, again, I get it. Now, So now let's come back to the subject at hand, which is that all the states want to pass these mRNA uh, bans or labeling criteria, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how do they think? How do they think that they're actually my my question is, again, this is me chasing you down down to the middle part of the tree. Right. I don't need you on the ground and I don't need you at the top. I just need you to be able to be in the middle here somewhere. Um, what in the heck do you think you're going to discover in in a legislative process and to be able to talk about in a legislative process on something this technical and this scientific and and this new, frankly, that is going to actually help you adequately write a law that will legislate this without causing as much harm as you cause good. Roll route, Jay Truitt. We're back in the last segment after this. Have you checked out what's going on at Cross Diamond Cattle Company? Scott and Kim Ford invite you to their place in Bertrand, Nebraska, the bull sale. Again, we call it a bull sale, but selling 450 Red Angus-influenced females bred as well. 250 Red Angus bulls, it's all happening in Bertrand, Nebraska, at the Cross Diamond location. Get more details about the influence of these Red Angus cattle. Most importantly, you want to talk about people behind what they sell, there's nobody better than Scott and Kim Ford. CrossDiamondCattle.com. Come to the customer appreciation on December 10. The sale is December 11. See you in Bertrand. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Lewis, alongside Jay Truitt, who just spoke the ultimate truth. How do you create a law that doesn't cause more problems than good? At the other end of the spectrum, it's not the other end, but another component of this, Jay, is that the very people in the globe that are trying to bring about this fear about, oh my goodness, you can't eat a piece of bacon that came from a pig that had an mRNA vaccine, are the people that created that fear and the COVID jab 
by talking. And yeah. we all know, we know that there's an inherent danger in the spike proteins and what they put in the COVID jab, graphene, yeah. whatever, whatever they put in there. There's a part of me that believes that they all had, they had just calculated all out and that there would be a problem with people who had taken the jab. And now all of a sudden they look to the MRNA as being the problem. Oh, wait, we're injecting your food with MRNA too. So they want to create a fear and avoidance of animal products, which is what they've been trying to get at for my entire yeah. lifetime. Now we recognize yeah. by creating yeah. this fear and pandemonium about eating products from animals. No, I think that's calculated. Right? No, absolutely. And I do think that that's why for some people it's a real easy jump, right? And for members of Congress, uh, for a, say, uh, a Rosa DeLauro, mm -hmm. uh, right, who is really not the worst member of Congress to have to go lobby. I actually like lobbying Rosa for the most part, but she's she's a vegetarian, right? And not quite to the vegan standpoint, I don't think, but She's a vegetarian and she looks for reasons why meat is bad. People begin to look for, this is a human nature thing, right? And that's all part of the this trade craft that I'm involved in as well. It's just identifying things that are human nature and playing to people's basic nature. Right. And, and tell them the information that they really want to hear. Not tell them the information they don't want to hear all the time. But uh, sometimes I do think that's more important. And that's the case here. That's what you just said, though. And there's this group of people in Washington, D.C. that is a huge, a huge lobby. You think pharma is a big lobby? Oh, the rest of that community um, that is opposed to anybody consuming um, meat and that would like to just eliminate meat from the U.S. diet has 10 times the resources and in, in manpower and the ability to influence Congress as what. Uh, anybody from pharma or the meat industry has. Um, I used to run into stinking Bob Barker in the hallway and he would have a dozen lobbyists just walking around with him that he was personally paying to get us to stop. He would say he was there uh, over the stupid neutering uh, animals thing. That Pay he and did. neuter your pets. Yeah, right. But that wasn't what the real conversation turned out to be when you you talked to members of Congress that just visited with him right before you. It was that, well, you know, really, we got to get this meat out of our diet. This stuff is just just not good for us. Right. And remember and when so, he endowed Southwest Missouri State with that million dollar endowment to create attorneys to fight on behalf of animals? Exactly. Right. And so we're you, you just can't. You know, you can't you can't take all this at face value. And in a 10 second soundbite society that we live in, the the this you, you have to go to what turns out to be the common denominator. And a consumer is going to read some story on the Internet where some some whack job homesteader has decided that they're going to benefit and sell their meat um, online for 50 cents more um, mm. because they don't use mRNA vaccines. Right. And it becomes something along with the rest of the labels. No, my pigs are not GMO pigs either. Yeah. Right. And I bought the Mishong uh, pigs from uh, China, China. Out of some USDA test center. Right. And that somehow or another, that have been inbred for 2000 years. And we're going to convince ourselves that somehow or another, that that's the very best possible option that we can get to. Well, Nonsense, but they don't know, they don't even know half the questions that they should be asking. And 
um, six months before they became a homesteading meat producer or a food producer that turns out to be our enemy here, sadly, in this process. And they denigrate the rest of society, including operations even like yours, which have decided to go vaccine free. Right. right. I mean, that you, you you've you've made the, the choice that your animals are actually going to really, truly follow that nature's course and that you're going to build that herd immunity the old fashioned way. And 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 you turn around and you look at these uh, these folks that end up being our enemy that demand labeling from the system. Um, they don't even label. They're selling private sales to somebody that technically probably are even illegal in a lot of states. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I get so frustrated. I can't even stand it. Um, six months ago, this guy was laying brick in Phoenix, Arizona. And now all of a sudden he's an expert on pork production and, um, uh, and yeah. vaccines. Cause he read something on the internet. So I want to go back to something you said, because it is the driver. You don't hear me marketing our beef or pork because I don't vaccinate animals. I, that that should yeah. not be a part of the discussion. But what you just said is exactly what I'm doing. I do not yeah. want a crutch on genetic selection to be the vaccination or an antibiotic, right. to be honest. If you right. have an animal that is getting, and we're inherently really bad at that in, a, in animal agriculture, well, in agriculture, period. We identify an animal that genetically has every attribute that we want to propagate. And then it's sick. Oh my goodness. He got sick. Well, what do we do? We go out there and we treat that animal. And then we use that animal and replicate it through our herd because it has those traits we really like completely ignoring the fact it didn't have an immune system that right. would fight off the natural. You know what the the sad part of this story is? I'm in beef production. I'm in uh, pork production, have been for my entire life. And I talk about, I've taken care of a million animals in my lifetime. I've provided daily care for a million animals. And Jay Truett, the sad part of this whole story is that one day I bought a hundred. You remember when you would drive on Highway 36 through Cameron going to uh, right. Hamilton, towards Hamilton. And on the north right. side of Highway 36, there's a guy that had a whole bunch of goats out there. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. I bought his goats. Right. I bought him out of goats. He decided he wanted to get out. So I went down there and I bought 120 nanny goats. I brought them home. And two months later, they started dying left and right. And I, I, I did an autopsy. I did all those things you do. And, uh, and well, not an autopsy, but anyway, we posted the animals. We got a veterinary right. report and it was worms. It was worms and goats are very susceptible to worms. And when they get in the liver, they just ultimately die. So I called the right. guy up and I said, hey, we're having trouble with worms. What was your worming protocol? Oh, we wormed them every month. And I'm like, oh my goodness. If you worm them every, every month. month, you have zero natural selection for the animals. And there right. are goat people who know that if you don't worm them, you have some death loss initially. Yeah. But over over the generations, you are identifying those that have the natural immunity that you just explained, the natural yeah. immunity to combat all of this. And you don't rely right. on all of these crutches from big pharma. That's why Kelly and I decided that we're not going to vaccinate our animals. Right. right. Because I want to have the healthiest animals you can possibly find through natural immunity and allowing the ones that have the best immune system to flourish. And those are the ones that are going to reproduce. And you can you can then start selecting for the other criteria that are important to you, 
right? I mean, for whatever the taste and the and the and the actual uh, ability to grow and the and fat deposition that gets put on the animal and whatever matches the feed system that you're using. But again, I th I think my my underlying point here in this whole conversation is we we just stop asking questions too quickly um yeah. in the in the whole conversation right and we we believe that because government puts a label on it or that a state requires it or whatever it doesn't matter whether it's the state or the feds put a label on some product that somehow or another that that is the complete answer and that they thought it well out well if you believe that go to a damn hearing on in any state legislature and listen to the ridiculousness of 99% of those hearings yeah i know the, Those people don't have any idea even what question to ask. And half is, the time, half the witnesses have such an agenda that yeah. we can't even really discover that. Jay, most of the time, they're people that show up saying that government's a problem, but at the end of the day, they're asking government to get bigger. Government to fix it. Yeah. And they, yeah, no. And I, it's just not the answer at the end of the day. And part of this thing is, is that we just love we love a food system that is instantaneous, right? We have drive-throughs on half of the restaurants, more than half the restaurants in America, right? Oh, yeah. And and so and we don't and and who pays attention to what uh, nutrition and labels really look like, right? Very very few people actually honestly pay much attention to it, other than to look at the one factor that probably is the least relevant, which is the the calorie count. They don't even ask what those calories came from. Mm. And so we're, we, we, we like to kid ourselves into believing that somehow or another that we have some trust or faith in that part of the system, but that's the part of the system that was supposed to be driven by us. And we're failing to do our part of that by asking the rest of the question. We ask government to do it instead and they will fail you. Every, this every is from a lobbyist. Time. Government will fail you every single time always yep. count on it bank on it think about this in our last minute we went to grandma's house on sunday afternoon because grandma was frying chicken because chicken takes a while to cook properly and right. now people drive through restaurant after restaurant and buy chicken because it's readily available and pretty cheap actually yeah and yeah and, and convenient Right. Wasn't no, so convenient for grandma on Sunday <laughs> afternoon. No, you just, that's the mouthful right there. We sought convenience over everything else that was important. And whether that be our own personal health, our own lifestyles, et cetera. But do, do you want a legis do, do you want a legislator that is representative of America when America stands in front of a microwave and wishes it would cook faster? <laughs> and that's the guy that's cooking your legislation. That is the sad part of where we're going to end this day, right in front of the microwave. Get the cast iron skillet out. Yeah. Get rid of the microwave. Yeah, exactly, We've successfully right? journeyed down the path connecting food producers to food consumers for Jay Truitt and Andrew Henderson, who's lost somewhere on a cloud. Yeah. We both remind you that all roads do lead to a roll route. There will be no cast iron, though, at the All-American Beef Battalion feed at the National Western. It'll be just the old-fashioned grills. Rotisserie grills grilling 700 ribeyes at a time. The National Western is shaping up to be everything that I had hoped that it would be. 
as plans are coming together for the celebration of veterans along with the bread female sale. Now, I've been talking about a lot of bread females available for you to rebuild your herd this year. The National Western is doing that. But beyond just the first weekend, the old field where cattlemen come to the National Western is happening in a way that I've been dreaming about for some time now nationalwestern.com January the 6th through January the 21st all of the activities including the Highlander show whatever you want as it involves the resources is available at the National Western see you in Denver in January